please turn with me this morning to Deuteronomy chapter 29. Deuteronomy 29. And verse 1. These are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab, beside the covenant which he made with them in Horeb. Now, friends, we're looking at uh, Deuteronomy 29 and Deuteronomy 30, uh, God willing, as well this morning. And my subject is Moses preaches the gospel. Moses is preaching the gospel. He's giving here his third, his final address, his final sermon to all those who are gathered there at Moab, that second generation of Israelites. His final sermon, it, it seems like, perhaps there were one or two more, we, but uh, this is his final recorded one. But what's he going to say? What's he going to pick up for his theme for his final sermon? Is he going to talk about the civil laws again and the ceremonial laws? Well, that would be helpful for them to be reminded of that. Is he going to talk again about the law, the Ten Commandments? Or is he going to mention something else? Or he picks up for his final message to these people before the Lord takes him home. He's going to preach to them the gospel, the gospel that we know and that we love. The gospel? Moses preaching the gospel? You've got a wrong pastor. Moses doesn't preach the gospel. Moses preaches the law. That's what we know, isn't it? Isn't that what John says in John's first gospel? The law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Isn't Moses only law, 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 do this, do this. If you don't do it, you're going to die. And grace and mercy, forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Well, you could look at it like that, but that's not entirely what that verse means. No, friends, there is grace uh, with, uh, with Moses, as we will see. Poor Moses, I would say. Because we all, whenever we think of him, we always think of him in this harsh way. He's got a fierce face. He's looking in with us in a fierce and angry way. Never any grace. You remember what we learned, I think it was in our midweek Bible studies, how when the golden calf was made and God said to Moses, let me judge all the people. Let me get rid of all the people. What did Moses say? God said to Moses, let me get rid of them and of you I will make a, a new nation, a new people. Moses said no. Moses stood in the gap and pleaded for God to be gracious to the people. And God was. So there is grace uh, in, in there. There is a different side uh, to Moses than just the law. John Bunyan, you know. John Bunyan put this very graphically in his, uh, in his book, uh, the, the, his allegory, The Pilgrim's Progress. If you haven't read it, you really should read it. Uh, it's, and uh, in there... Uh, he speaks of a character, and the character is called Faithful. Uh, Faithful, a, a Christian man, was recounting uh, how he got pummeled by Moses at one particular point. And uh, I quote, this is a little bit at length, but just bear with me. Moses, this is uh, Faithful speaking, and he said, So the man overtook me. It was but a word and a blow. For down he knocked me and laid me for dead. When I came to a little... I asked him why he so dealt with me. He said, because of your secret inclining to Adam. And then he struck me with another deadly blow. 
and beat me down backward. I cried to him for mercy, but he said, I know not how to show mercy. And with that, he beat me down again. He would surely have made an end of me, Faithful said. But one came by and bid him forbear. Stop, stop beating that man. And that one who came by was Christ, who uh, uh, bid him to stop. And the one, of course, who was beating Faithful is, uh, is Moses. And so perhaps we are, a little bit of John Bunyan has, has uh, uh, made us think that Moses is always a, fearful, a fierce person. But what he was trying to portray there is the law. That's the law. Not the, you could differentiate between Moses and the law. The law is like that. There's no grace in the law. There's no mercy in the Ten Commandments. It is only do this and uh, live. But there was, as you will see in this particular chapter and the next, the grace uh, in Moses. And here we see the lawgiver actually preaching grace to the children of Israel. 3,500 years ago, this man is preaching grace. Well, let's look at these verses. Uh, first one is uh, very important. These are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab beside the covenant which he made with them in Horeb. Now, some commentators think that uh, this particular verse belongs to the previous uh, chapter but, uh, because it says, these are the words. But that first word, these, it can, in the Hebrew, it can refer to uh, what has gone before or what is to come, the words which are to come. And uh, that's, in this case, it's referring to the words that are to come. It's not a reference to what has just gone before, the, the blessings and the curses in chapter 28. But uh, the big question uh, in this particular verse is, is this covenant that Moses is referring to here, the beside uh, uh, the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab, beside the covenant which he made with them in Horeb. Is this covenant a renewal of that covenant that he made at Horeb, the covenant at Mount Sinai, the one which said, you must do these commandments, and if you do these commandments, then you will live, then you will know God's blessing. Is Moses, is Moses saying, just this, now a new generation has come in, you need to renew, that was done with your fathers, you need to renew this covenant as a new generation, but it's the same covenant. Is that what Moses is saying? Well, there are many commentators who say that uh, this is what he's saying. In fact, the vast majority uh, will say this. Hardly any will go in the opposite direction and say, no, this is not the renewal of the same covenant. This is a, a new covenant that uh, Moses is speaking about. This is not the old covenant of words. This is the covenant of grace that he has in mind. Uh, the word here, beside uh, beside the covenant which he made with, with them in Horeb. The word that beside means in addition to, in addition to, as well as that old covenant 38 years ago made at Sinai. In addition to that, here you have this covenant which now I'm going to tell you about. 
So friends, I hope you can follow me as uh, we look at these things. And it becomes plain and obvious, really, if we begin with that starting point, then you begin to see the rest of the chapters make sense. That's why verse 1 really is quite critical. This is the new covenant, and it has to do with the heart, not with the external, but with the internal, what's going on within, what God is going to do within. You remember, it's the very same covenant that God spoke of to Ezekiel and also to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 31, I'll read it to you, and verse 31, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, listen to this, I will put my laws, I will do it, God is going to do, give, do this, I will put my law in the inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be uh, their God and they shall be my people. God was going to give them a new heart. This is the new covenant. This is the covenant of grace. The same thing happens to us. And this is what Moses is uh, referring to here. The substance of it, this covenant, is very different from the old covenant, the one that Moses spoke of. And even the language, as we see, is, is, is very different. Yes, it has some elements in it which are similar to the old one, some elements in it, like for example, they still have to keep the law, but it's not in order to be saved. They have to keep the moral law as a part of their gratitude to God. For obey. They obey Him because they're grateful to the law, but not as in the other one where they have to earn, as it were, a, a, a right relationship with God. So it has some similarities, and that may confuse us. If we keep in mind this is a gospel message, then that will help us. A large chunk of it is also a prophecy. I think the giveaway, the real clincher for this is in chapter 30, where in, in the verses 11 onwards, 11 to 14, and we'll look at that in due time. Uh, these are words that are referring uh, to the gospel, again, as because we know, because Paul picks this up in Romans chapter 10, and more or less the exact same passage, word almost verbatim, word for word, he picks up this and explains it in a gospel way and says this is what it means. So if we look at this Old Testament passage through those spectacles of the Apostle Paul, then we'll get it. If we don't, then we'll miss it, friends. So let's look a little bit more at what Moses says. He gathers, he calls together all uh, Israel, he's going to preach to them, he's got a great congregation, millions of people, all of them are gathered there, and in verse 2 he says, you have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt unto Pharaoh and all, unto all his servants and uh, unto all his land. Here they are, this is, remember, the, the next generation, many of them would have been children when they were in Egypt, but they would They've been very young, some, some a little bit older, but they would have remembered most of them. Uh, something of what God had done, those plagues and those great miracles that he did. In verse 5, uh, he's, God, God says to them, uh, I've led you for 40 years, 
And during that time, well, your clothes, they haven't worn out, they haven't become moth-eaten, and even your shoes haven't worn out. I wonder what the ladies wouldn't be very happy with that, to wear the same pair of shoes for 40 years. But they, they miraculously, their shoes were preserved. Verse 6, they didn't have a staple diet of the usual diet of bread and, uh, and water, uh, bread and, and drink, but God still kept them in a miraculous way. Uh, verse 6, you have not eaten bread, neither have you drunk wine or strong drink. They didn't have those things which people usually have to strengthen them, but nevertheless, God still upheld them. Verse 7, when their enemies, when they were marching to the promised land and their enemies came out against them, one after another, God gave them the victory. God gave them the land that they had, and it fell into the possession of the people of Israel. And what Moses is doing by reiterating these things is he's showing to them, look how good God has been to you. Look how blessed you are as a people. But in the midst of it, in verse 4, look what he says. Yet the Lord hath not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to see, and years to hear unto this day. In spite of all this goodness that God has shown to you and expressions of His power and His interest in you, Israel was still blind. Israel was still dull. The people still did not understand. The people were still not grasping. They were still not getting it. They were not getting the message that God was blessing them, not in order just for them to be happy and comfortable, but in order for them to turn to Him. That's what Moses is saying. Look how good God has been in order that you will turn to Him in repentance and faith and come and bow down before Him. This is why He has so blessed you. To get, he's giving you an experience, an example of Him, and further blessings are promised if you will humble yourself for, uh, before Him. You've got to come before God and ask Him for grace and for spiritual life. The law it was, was not meant to turn you, uh, the law was, rather was meant to, to turn you to your knees. The goodness of God is not meant to turn you to the law, to try and keep it in order to obtain God's forgiveness. No, friends, the goodness of God is meant to lead, lead us, as Paul says, to repentance. And that's what Moses is doing, the, doing here, to lead the people to ask the Lord for light. The problem with them is they wouldn't get on their knees. They wouldn't ask the Lord for light and understanding. That's why the Lord didn't give it to them. It says here, the Lord has not given it to you. This is gospel preaching, friends. This is what we do when we preach the gospel. We show people, we try and help the unbeliever realize how good God has been to you. Not just so that he leaves the church with ideas that God is good, that would be nice, but even more, that he leaves the idea, that leaves the church realizing, I must get right with God. I must get right with God. I cannot ignore how good he has been to me. I must turn to him. Verses 9 to 13 keeps up. Moses is continuing uh, his, his sermon. This, here we see the new covenant is offered uh, to them. Keep therefore the words of this, co this covenant and do them that ye may prosper in all that you do. It's offered to uh, all Israel who are standing uh, before him. 
But look at his words, verse 10. Ye stand this day, all of you, before the Lord your God. You are accountable to God, he's saying. It's not me. You're accountable to God. He's reminding them, and really that's what we do as gospel preachers, we remind people, you're accountable to God. You have to speak to Him at the end of the day, at the end of time, when either when He takes you in this life or when the Lord returns, you have to stand before Him and give a, an account of how you have lived your life and what you've done with the gospel, what you've done with His goodness, and how have you responded to it. Have you received it? Have you rejected it? You're accountable to God. Your, look, the, your captains, your officers, or the captains of your tribes, your elders, your officers, with all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, and thy stranger that is in thy camp from the hue of thy wood unto the drawer of thy water. This is all relevant to, to the Israelites, to the Jews who were there before uh, Moses and before the Lord. And verse 12, that thou shouldest enter into covenant with the Lord thy God and into his oath which the Lord thy God maketh with thee this day. So again, the word enter into there means that you should entirely submit yourself in repentance and faith to him. It's a call to yield your life over to God. Look at his words. You should do this. He's pleading with them. He's, uh, he's arguing with them. Uh, you should do this. This day, at the end, uh, enter into this covenant that the Lord is making with you at the end of verse 12. This day is urging them. Don't delay. Don't put it off. Don't procrastinate. Today is the day of salvation. And then verse 13, uh, that he may establish thee. These are the benefits of if you do turn to him, if you do respond. Here are the benefits of responding. Again, things that uh, gospel preachers mention, that he may establish thee today for a people unto himself, that he may be unto thee a God, as he had said unto thee, and as he had sworn unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. God wants to establish a relationship with you. That's what they say. If you will turn, if you do repent, if you do acknowledge your need of grace and forgiveness from Him and come in that humble way, then this is the benefit that you will receive, a personal relationship with Him. That's, what he's, that's, that's what's here, friends. But then look at verses 14 and 15 because this is not only to do uh, with Israel. There's another group mentioned here. Neither with you only do I make this covenant and this oath, but with him that standeth here with us this day before the Lord our God, and also with him that is not here with us this day. This is not only referring to future generations of Israelites. This is also referring to Gentiles, to those who are non-Israelites, people like ourselves. Uh, it's a, a reference uh, to us. This covenant, can you see, is broader than the old covenant which was made with Israel. This one is a much broader one and incorporates both Jews and Gentiles. This, friends, is the international church of Jesus Christ. 
which is being mentioned here. And then in verse 18, we move on. Where Moses continues, lest there should be among you man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turneth away this day from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations, lest there should be among you a root that beareth gall and wormwood. Well, he's, he's changed his tack now. His approach now is somewhat different. He's, he's pleaded with them. He's showed them the benefits. He's urging them to, be, uh, to enter into this covenant. And now he's giving them a warning. Now he says, here's a serious warning. You must be aware that if you turn away from the Lord and you reject these things that I'm saying to you, well, don't expect things to just be, be fine as a result of that. You can expect God's judgment, he says, in a very gentle and appealing way to them. But it's a warning that, he, that comes uh, from his mouth. Again, he says, uh, to this, this day, uh, verse uh, 18, uh, let, lest, lest there be anyone whose heart turns away this day from the Lord your God. Turns. This is not about the future. The other covenant was talking about the future. If you don't, in the future, keep these commandments, and if in the future you turn to idols, then the, uh, the curses will come upon you. This is saying today, this day, if in your hearts, maybe you don't verbalize, you don't tell other people uh, your, your real religious uh, feeling and whether you really love the Lord or not, but in your heart, if you are saying that uh, you're going to turn away from God, then uh, be, beware is the message here uh, from, uh, from Moses. Paul in Hebrews says something similar, isn't it? Today, if you hear his voice, harden not uh, your heart. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Verse 19. If in your heart, if you say, I shall have peace, though I walk in the imagination of my heart, and you to add drunkenness to thirst, well, the Lord will not spare such a person. Don't say, Moses is saying, I'm safe. Even though I don't really believe in the Lord, even though I haven't turned uh, to Him and haven't repented, even though I'm still going my own way, and I have my idols in my heart, that's what I'm going to... That's what I'm going to hold on to for my life. Don't think you can get away with it, he's saying. The Lord sees what is happening in your heart. This is individual language that, is, that comes through. That particular individual will not escape. Verses 20 and following. The Lord will not spare him. The Lord will uh, blot out his name. Uh, the Lord uh, will single him out. The curses will lie upon him, that person who refuses to repent and to trust in the Lord. So this is another element, of course, uh, in gospel preaching. This is what we have to do. The Lord said to Ezekiel the prophet, when I, uh, when I say uh, that, that if a person doesn't turn from their sins and continues in their wickedness, they shall die. If that's the message I'm giving to you, Ezekiel, that's the message you must preach. 
You mustn't change the message. You mustn't modify. You mustn't make it nice and easy for people to hear just because it's a difficult thing to say. You must, alongside the benefits and alongside the offer of grace, come and warn the people. Our friends, so few churches warn people about the, the consequences of rejecting God. It's not a pleasant subject to talk about. It doesn't fill churches to talk about sin and the consequences of sin and of hell and of judgment to come. But this is what God has said. This is what we must also preach as preachers. We have to speak what the Lord uh, says. So uh, the, we won't look in detail at the remaining verses of 29, but uh, they are verses of uh, prophecy things that would happen uh, to Israel. Israel would turn away from the Lord. Israel would turn to idolatry. And as a result of that, Israel would go into exile. We looked at that uh, last week when we talked about their exile in Babylon and subsequently being uh, taken out of their own land by Rome in AD uh, 70. But this was prophetic language. But just look very quickly before we move on to chapter 30. Look at verse 29, because this verse seems a little bit out of place. What's this verse doing here? The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. And there are a number of good sermons you can pick up online on this particular verse. But what's it doing here? in the midst of this sermon of Moses. Well, the, the thought is uh, that the, the, the people of Israel, when they hear about these uh, uh, prophetic words uh, of Moses, that the Lord would root them out of their land in anger and in great indignation and cast them into another land, verse 29, they would be, be curious. When's that going to happen? When are the children of Israel going to suffer like that? When are they going to be expelled from this new land that you are giving them? They were curious to know. And Moses is saying on God's behalf, these are secret things. These are things which are known to God and to God himself alone. That, that's not in your remit. That's not something you need to be concerned about. The future things belong to him. But he has revealed things to you, and that's what you need to be concerned about. He has told you about this word of grace. He's told you you need to be right with God. He's told you this is of urgent importance. He's told you about the consequences of sin, uh, and of you need to uh, repent and trust in him. You have that information. This is what you need to be your concern. Leave the other things then uh, in God's hands. Perhaps some of us are like that. We want to know a lot about future things. When will the world end? So many people, isn't it, want to know what day will the world end? What specific day? Oh, the Jehovah's Witnesses are very good at this. Don't like to call them Jehovah's Witnesses because they're not really Jehovah's Witnesses at all. You know, they're Russellites. You know, but they they have said again and again and again, oh, Christ is going to return on such a day and such a day and such a day been wrong every time. And of course they'll be wrong because the Lord said no one knows the day or the hour of his return. Haven't they read that? <laughs> Haven't they read that one scripture? It's so easy, so plain. It just nullifies all their prophetic 
uh, sayings. Because if they get that wrong, then everything else you can, uh, you know, take with more than a pinch of salt. You know, but this is this is uh, this is what people are curious about. Because I say that because many people are interested. Oh, they've said this, and they people sell up their homes and they quit their jobs and they do all sorts of things in preparation uh, for this particular thing. But it's wrong. That's not. What we need to be concerned about: How will the world end? Where, where, where will Christ come? Will He land at, at Mount Zion? Really? Uh, will He? Will He? You know? Will He? In what manner will the Lord Jesus come back again? Well, some things are revealed to us, but many things, friends, are hidden from us, and we don't really need to know. God, in His wisdom, has kept things. But what is important to us, He has made known, and that again comes down to this simple beginning of you need to be in a right relationship with God. This is what we must be so concerned about. Not so much about the exact date when Christ is coming, but am I in a right relationship? God keeps certain things close to his chest, but other things which we need to know and are necessary for our, our, our present joy and our future happiness. These are the things he has told us. Repent, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and commit yourself to him. Well, we know these things, don't we? But let's move on to chapter 30. And uh, we can just look at this uh, briefly. But uh, chapter 30, the first few, few verses are individuals who, who realize, who come to the realization that they are, they've sinned against a good God. They realize their sin and then they uh, repent of their sin, and then they return uh, to the Lord, uh, verse 2. And what sort of an act, a reception will those people get who are uh, repenting and returning sinners? What sort of a, re a response will they get from God? Look at verse 3. Then the Lord thy God will turn thy captivity and have compassion upon thee and will return and gather thee the Lord will respond to you with compassion. We again think of that uh, parable the Lord Jesus taught of the prodigal son. When he returned, perhaps he was going around in his mind again and again, I'm so sorry for what I've done, but how will my father receive me when I go back? I've been so awful, I've been so terrible, I've squandered all his wealth. How will he deal with me? Will he be harsh and angry? And he went home and his father hands were stretched out still and he ran to meet him and he threw himself on his neck and kissed his son because he was full of pity and compassion for his son. That is, friends, what God will do for you if you return to him and, and repent of your sins. He will meet you with pity and compassion and with, uh, throw his arms of love around you. This is our God. This is what he promises uh, to us, and it's also, we could say here, uh, that there is a, a, a promise also for the Jews in that second part of uh, verse 3b, gather, I will gather thee from all nations, whither the Lord thy God hath scattered thee. Uh, there's a blessing uh, for the Jews, a, a gathering of the Jews back into their own land, and uh, we have seen uh, a number return. Not a great many, there's still many scattered around the world, but in part this has been uh, fulfilled. But then look at verse 6. 
verse 6, And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, that thou mayest live. It's no longer external, do this and live. It's internal. It's the heart. The Lord will circumcise your heart. It's that new covenant Jeremiah and Ezekiel spoke of. The heart to love God and to with all your heart and soul and with that thou mayest live. The old covenant, it's certain to fail. This new covenant uh, is blessed of the Lord. And this is what Moses is calling them to, spiritual circumcision. But uh, verses, I go down to verses 11 to 14. And uh, this, is, this is wonderful as well. Uh, these are the verses that the apostle refers to in, in Romans 10. Verse 11, for this commandment which I command thee this day, it is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. This commandment, which commandment, Moses? Well, the commandment to repent. The commandment to ask God to be gracious to you. To say, Lord, I can't do it. I, I, I cannot keep your commandments. I need you to be merciful. I need you to be gracious to me uh, in Christ. This is the commandment that Moses uh, is, 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 is presenting to them this day. It's not hidden from you. It's not uh, out of your mind. You can see it. This is not something he's saying that's hard to know. It's very easy for you to know it. It's neither far off Neither is it out of reach. Look at verse 12. It's not in heaven that thou shouldest say, Who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it unto us that we may hear it and do it? Moses is saying, It's not shut up in heaven, far away, locked away in a safe, as it were, in heaven, that you, you have to send somebody up to get it down. No, it's now. It's here, it's close by, it's nearby, it's in your possession. It's the word that is being preached to you. Verse 13, neither is it beyond the sea that thou shouldest say, who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us that we may hear it and, and, and do it. Well, at that time, it was very difficult to go over the sea. It was very troublesome. It was, uh, it was a long, long journey that to go off to a far distant land. And Moses is saying, you don't have to do that. You don't have to go to the end of the world to get this message. It's here. It's on your doorstep. It's on your lap. No, he takes it even further in the next verse. It's in, the word is very nigh you, very close to you, in your mouth. That is, in the mouth of your teachers who are speaking these things to you. And in your heart, that means in your mind, you're thinking over these things, that thou mayest do it. It's so close to you. It's so easy to get this message. It's so easy to understand it. The hard part comes when pride doesn't want to do it. Pride doesn't want to repent. Doesn't want to say, I need God to be merciful to me. But the gospel itself, which is what this is, it's easy. It's easy to understand, and it's easy uh, to follow. Let's just very quickly look at Romans uh, 10. And uh, in Romans 10, verse, verse 5, Paul, Paul speaking here says, For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law 
that the man which doeth them, those things shall live by them. That's the old, uh, the old covenant, the Sinai covenant. But the righteousness, which is of faith, this is different, speaketh on this wise. He's now quoting Moses, the, the gospel. See, Moses is a gospel preacher. Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Now, Paul has more information and more facts, you could say, than Moses. So he's able to elaborate a little bit more. So when he says, who shall ascend into heaven? That's Moses' words. But he puts in brackets, that is to bring Christ down uh, from above. You don't need to ask Christ to come again from heaven and speak to you these things. He's already done it, Paul can say to the Jews at that time and to us. He's already been to the earth. He's already visited the earth. He's already preached the message of the gospel. You have it. You don't need to, him to come down again and tell you a second time. And in verse 7, Or who shall descend into the deep? That is to bring up Christ again from the dead. It's, uh, some people say that the deep here refers uh, to uh, the place of the dead. You don't need Christ to come up again from the dead, as it were. You'd, in, uh, and putting it all together, what he's saying is, you don't need Christ to suffer and to die and to be buried and to be raised again and to go up to heaven again. He's done all that. You don't need for him to do it a second time to prove to you that this is what you need to do. He's done it already. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Listen, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Easy, isn't it? <laughs> it's easy. Isn't it? What's difficult about that? Even a child could understand that, friends. Even a child. If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord, you submit to him as your Savior and as your Lord, you're giving your life over to him, and you believe it truly in your heart and sincerely, you shall be saved. Yes, that's all you need to do to get right with God. You get on your knees and say, Lord, I am a sinner. I believe in, in Christ. Lord, save me. I believe in all that he has done for guilty sinners on that cruel, cruel cross that he suffered. The shame was his, but he did all that for me. Lord, I believe him. I trust in him. I turn from my sins. I yield my life over to you. You say that in your heart and you mean those words. God will hear your prayer. You shall be saved. Wonderful words, friends. A wonderful, easy message that the Lord uh, has given to us. And then finally, and I just close with this, in verse 19, going back to Deuteronomy 30 and verse 19. One final thrust from this gospel preacher, and he's bringing them to a crisis point in verse 19. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, Therefore, choose life. He's almost feel the urgency in his voice. Choose life that thou mayest, uh, that both thou and thy seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, 
that thou mayest obey his voice and that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life and the length of thy days, and that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to, to give them. This is one final thrust of this gospel preacher, to urge the people, choose the Lord. Look, I'm setting before you a, a choice. You, either, you can either have blessing or you can have cursing. You can have God's favor or you can have his uh, displeasure. You can have life if you turn to him, spiritual life. He's very straightforward. Isn't, he's, 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 he's not um, fuzzing, uh, he's not making it, it, it uh, unclear for the people. He's setting out very clearly, these are your options. He's expostulating with them to turn and to trust in Christ. He's pleading with them to yield uh, to the Savior. Choose you this day whom you will serve. That's what we tell people. That's what we call people to in the gospel. Choose you this day, but choose life. We plead with souls. That's the, the role, not only of the preacher, but even of us as individuals. All, every believer should be a gospel speaker, a gospel preacher in their, in their own way, urging people, look, it's so easy to become a Christian. Christ has done the hard work. All you need to do is turn and repent. Come to the Lord. Come to his house. Come and hear his word. Each one of us wants to be instrumental in, bring, uh, in, in bringing others to him. Well, friends, this is how Moses closed his sermon, and this is how I want to close our ser my sermon this morning. Choose the Lord, friends. There's life, eternal life, happiness now. Let it begin. And happiness in the world to come, a bliss that is unimaginable, prepared for those who turn to him. What does it cost you? Only your sins? Only those things that will hurt you, that will ruin you, that will spoil your life, and that will harm your life? Those are the things God asks you to give up and to turn to him, and he will change you. You say, but I can't do it. Yes, you can't do it. That's why you must turn to him and ask him to do it, and he will do it for you. He will give you a new heart. He will give you a power to live a new life. Turn to Jesus Christ and live. Let's close by singing our final hymn, which is number 400. Weary of earth and laden with my sin. Number 400.